Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Yeah, the first technique I learned was a punch. What's happening, everybody? This is Believe in the Punch podcast. I'm your host, as always, Karate Cam. And thank you, everybody, for listening and downloading these episodes. We are on episode number 15 right now, and I am so stoked about it. If you haven't already, press pause right now and download this episode. This is going to be a good one. I'm really looking forward to it. But as always, you guys know who it is, betonline.ag. Thank you again for another sponsor on this episode. You guys already know for your online sportsbook experts, you go to betonline.ag. If you go right now, we got the NBA Finals coming up. The All-Star Game just finished for the MLB. We got events coming up. But if you go right now, you get your 50% off bonus on your first deposit. So head online or go on your phone to betonline.ag and get it going. But without further ado, I'd like to introduce today's awesome guest. I'm fortunate enough to be joined by Amy Truesdale, who's a GB Great Britain Paralympic Taekwondo athlete who's qualified for the 2021 Paralympic Games. Her career results include a list that would take this whole episode to go through, but just some of the highlights are a gold at the 27 Para Taekwondo World Championships, several gold medals on the Para Taekwondo Open Circuit, and even a gold at the World Para Taekwondo Games. Enjoy the show where we cover her whole story and what it takes to be an elite combat athlete, and me going into a new area here of Taekwondo was very exciting. Enjoy the episode, everyone. Joined with special guest. Amy Truesdale. Amy, welcome to the show. Thanks for coming on. Thank you for having me. Yeah, this is, I, I'm excited because, um, I mean, right before we got started, I, I also told her, but this is not only like my first, like, this is my first, I should say my first high caliber Taekwondo athlete that I have on the show. And I'm super stoked that it's also an overseas athlete, you know? So again, really thank you so much for coming on, but let's jump right into it. Like, um, I want, you know what, since so, so like a lot of people might not know exactly who you are. So can you just give me the breakdown of like who you are? What's, what's your resume and things like that? Cause I think you have a pretty awesome story. Pretty much. Um, so yeah, I've been doing Taekwondo pretty much the whole of my life. I've been doing it for 24 years. Um, for the oh, majority wow. of that time, I was doing it as a hobby. Um, and then in later sort of life, it then progressed into me going into elite sport and being a professional athlete for Team GB. So yeah, there's a lot, right in, a lot in between, but um, currently at the moment, I'm ranked number one in the world for my weight category. And I was the first person to qualify for the Paralympic Games, which are taking part in Tokyo this year in September. Wow. I, and how does that feel? Because this is the first time that... Um, that- para taekwondo is in the olympics correct yeah it is so it's really exciting like taekwondo has been a very successful olympic sport for the last 21 years and um, so even though the para taekwondo is a bit late to the party so to speak um mm -hmm. i think it's really good we're getting the recognition that we deserve and we can showcase it to, to the world in september so i'm really looking forward to it yeah, for sure. And like, uh, again, like this is coming from a very jealous point of view, but this is karate's first time 
overall in, in the Olympics, right? And unfortunately, we don't have para-karate in quite yet, but like that would be something that I would hope and, you know, I would hope for going forward. But also, you, you said you you fight, right? So like, what what's your weight category? Um, so the division that I'm in, it's plus 58 kilograms. So for the para-females, it's minus 49, minus 58, or plus 58, and I fight plus 58. Plus 58. Okay, great. Well, so the reason why I asked that is because so for para-karate, we don't have sparring or a kumite or fighting yet as an event. For us, it's still strictly all forms. And then based off of um, like there's different divisions. So like there's like visually impaired, physically impaired and all yeah. of those things that cover the spectrum. And um, I guess they're still trying to figure out how they can incorporate a division that is just strictly for fighting. So like, could you explain to me a little bit of like how, how that all, how it's all divided up within Taekwondo? Yeah, um, so like as you were saying, with like visually impaired and different athletes, we have that, but that is mainly for the pump, say the forms, the sort of side of it. Um, sure. But in um, the actual sparring, so in my division, I've got my left arm missing. So if you've got um, an amputation or if you have MS or CP, you're all categorized and you're in the same category. So it is quite a mix of different impairments, but you all fight together. I see. But the rule set the rule set stays the same. Yeah. Okay, great. And and um, okay, if I'm honest, this is coming from me just not knowing, but like, could you give me like the general breakdown of how like a taekwondo match goes, right? Because there's there's rounds, no? Yep, so um, a normal Taekwondo match would be three rounds and they're two minutes each. Um, both the players, both the fighters will wear a body protector, which is actually an electronic system. So the athletes will wear socks um, on their feet. So it depends on what kick you score and at what threshold you actually hit the target will determine if it scores a point or it doesn't. So there may be occasions that you make contact with um, the pad, but if you don't hit it hard enough, it's not registering a point. Um, so that's the main thing, really. And then ultimately the most points or whoever gets to the most points um, at the end of the three rounds is the winner. I see. And is it like, is it bracket style after that? So like, you know, you, you fight your first opponent and then for those three rounds, whoever scores the most amount of points and then you work your way up through a bracket or is it, is it, is it something else then? Yeah. So if you, if you win your match, you just go straight through to the next round to whoever, to whoever's next. And it, and it repeats the same three round system. Yeah. Yeah. It's always three, two minute rounds. Um, if, oh, okay. if it's a draw, if you both got the same point, you then go into um, like a sudden death, like a golden point situation. And it's the first person to score. I see. I see. Okay. Yeah, no, that's great because so karate is very different and I, I wouldn't say very different, but it's like essentially the equivalent of one three minute round. Yeah. But for you guys, it's runtime, correct? Yeah. So even if there's a stoppage, like, I guess, okay, let me backtrack and say, what's, where's the referee's role? What is the referee's role then at that um, point? So the referee's role, like the, um, as an athlete, you can lose points, which then are given to your opponent. They're called gamjins. Say, for instance, if you got kicked in the leg or you got kicked below the sort of waist or the belt level, that person would lose a point because it's it's low contact. They shouldn't be doing that. Um, if you grab your opponent, they would lose a point for that because you can push and kick your opponent. You can like, push them on the chest to create mm. distance and kick, but you can't grab. Um and then, like, the area that we fight in, if you step out of that, you lose a point because, obviously, there's a 
a designated area that you need to remain in throughout the duration of the fight. So if you step out, then you lose. So from a tactical point of view, that is a very good way for you to get extra points. Well, the referee would stop the match for a brief second. Um, he or she would then say, you've lost a point for this reason. Then he'd he or she would resume the match. So it's a really, it's a very brief, quick stop, and then you keep going. Yeah. So it's just okay. if it's a rule that's prohibited, that's when it would be stopped. I see. Yeah. No. I mean, and I think that's really cool to think about because, like, for karate, obviously, it's not like we're not waiting for five minutes every time the referee stops the match, but it's like a longer pause, right? To award a point, advantage point, this, whatever, talk about like, or explain the penalties or whatever it is, but we don't lose points, right? So like our penalties, like they build to, to the point where we would get disqualified if we get a certain number of them. Is that, is that similar with you guys? Yeah, so you basically you can get 10 gamjins, which are these points, like I said, for the low kicking. If you get 10, then yeah, you've basically You're lost. You're done. But um, yeah, you, you can like monitor how many you've got. It's on the electronic board. So if you're up to five, six, you know, you need to play a smarter game so you don't get any more. Yeah. Are they that easy to get? Um, only, I suppose the easiest ones to get is if you go outside of the area. That's quite, that's quite an easy one to get, especially if your opponent's like pressurizing you a lot. Yeah. Yeah. That's fair. That's fair. Um, so like, sorry, I just, I, I actually never really spoke to someone about what the rule set about Taekwondo is like sport Taekwondo is versus karate. So this is actually a pretty cool perspective, you know? Um, but then like a lot of times on like whatever social media you see, like the, the highlight reel knockout in Taekwondo occasionally sometimes as well. So where like, cause for us, if you put the opponent out, you get penalized for that. Yeah. Right. Obviously it depends on the situation. Like if they were coming in, like almost like a self-inflicted kind of put themselves in a danger and then they were, they resulted in getting hurt. Like they'll be like, you wouldn't get penalized. Pen, yeah. You wouldn't get penalized the same way as to where, like if I just went straight for like a dome shot and then they went down. So where, where does that all fall into play? Um, okay. So in Taekwondo, you it's the only difference with Taekwondo and Olympic Taekwondo, Olympic Taekwondo, yes, it's a full contact, it's a knockout sport, so yes, you can kick to the face, you can knock your opponent out. Um, Taekwondo, we do exactly the same, but we don't do the headshots. So all the kicks to the body I are see. the same. So if we were going to maximise our headshots, because like our, our points, we would do a more complex technique to the body protector, we can't kick to the head. But yeah, Olympic Taekwondo, yeah, your aim, if you can knock them out, then yeah, that's in your favor. Okay, so you are trying to. That's pretty crazy. <laughs> because Obviously, kicks yeah. are... Like the main aim is to get as many points as you can. Um, mm -hmm. But yeah, if you can do it through knockout, then yeah, you don't see as many nowadays. Like years ago, they were more frequent because I think Taekwondo, the rules, the game has changed quite a lot. But um, mm -hmm. yeah, your aim is to get as many points and you can effectively knock out. Well, yeah, would it become a thing like where like if you're like I'm winning, right? Would my opponent at a certain point just go straight for a knockout? No, not not really, no. I, I think a lot of the knockouts, sometimes they're not even intentional. It depends how you're setting off particular shots. And like you say, your opponent's got a lot to do with it. If they're rushing in, they're not sure. thinking clearly. Those That's when like knockouts can happen. If the other person's rushing, you can only lift your leg and sometimes that contact can be a direct knockout. 
Yeah, definitely. Wow, that's crazy. So, I mean, like, just to think about it, because like, in, in a lot of times, you know, people are hungry for points at, like, the end of a match. I could only imagine, like, if you're winning by a significant lead going into that third round, the other person would just be rushing, right, because they want points. Um, so that, that, and that's pretty crazy to think. So that's cool, but yeah, that's great. So like, what does your training, I guess, look like for, for like, do you train with like another, like other para athletes or are you training with like the normal Taekwondo national team within your camps and things like that? So we're all, we're all at the same facility, um, but we're all divided into different groups. So the Olympic team train the Olympic team, those who've qualified for Tokyo, we then have the other Olympic athletes that would possibly be training to go to the next cycle, which will be Paris in 2024. And then we have the Paralympic team, which is myself, my coach and my teammates. And that's always the way it is. So we're all on the same sort of facility, same S&C gym, same kicking gym, but everyone's in the separate groups because we've got separate journeys, separate training partners, but effectively, but also a team. Right, 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 right. And it's just like, I think that would help to make the, the training more centralized to what your needs are. Yeah, definitely. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, definitely. Because obviously we've got five athletes that have qualified for the Olympic style, but they're all in completely different weight categories, the male, the female. So yeah, it's all entirely different. Right, right. So you live on campus of what, the Team GB facility, correct? Um, so GB Taekwondo support some athletes in athlete accommodation which is say 10 minutes from the center um yeah i i, I just like live very close to the center but in my own accommodation but yeah oh, they okay are so supported okay. um so most of the athletes there'll be about five of them in each house like with the, oh with wow the so, so do you have yeah, so you're rooming with your teammates I, now? Personally, I just do my own thing on my own. Uh, but yeah, there is everybody else will be in like groups of four or five. I see. You see, you're special like that. Yeah, just um, every- <laughs> focusing on my <laughs> everybody own. Said, thing. Every, everybody said Amy needs her space, Especially. right? There we go. <laughs> no, that's great. Uh, but like, what, what, what is, um, I guess, what does the process look like to, till, till September, right? Till yeah, September when you go to Tokyo. Yeah, so just training as usual. So a standard sort of week for myself would be training Monday to Friday. Um, the mornings would be a kicking session. So that depends on what training block I'm in, whether it's a competitive um, training situation, if it's just going through general sort of techniques. And then my afternoons would be strength and conditioning, whether that's um, a bike session, weights, um, but yeah, that would be a standard week for me. Um, my spare time throughout that would be having a catch up with our nutritionist who works for us um, and then maximise my um, recovery through um, a sports massage. That's the other things that I would do throughout the week. Yeah. Um, side note, like, because uh, because massage is like, I, I personally as like a USA, Team USA athlete, I've never had like the quote unquote luxury of having you know, like a full team to help with every little piece, right? So like I've had to find my own SNC coach. Nutritionist, I was lucky to talk to someone that just connected me to someone within, you know, Team USA. Uh, but then everything else as far as physio, recovery and all of those things, I had to go, you know, find on my own. 
And a lot of times it's it's hard because you still have to pay for those things. Yeah, 100%. Like, it's very difficult. Yeah. Like, before I was a full-time athlete, I was literally doing, I was doing no SNC at all and still going to international competitions. I wasn't looking after my recovery. I wasn't watching my weight. I was still working full time. I was still traveling to Manchester. So yeah, I, yeah, I can totally relate to what you're saying and you do feel a bit lost because the expense of it and then funding your own competitions. Yeah, it's, it's very demanding. It's everything. It's really hard. Right. Right. So like, let me ask you then, when did you become quote unquote, like the professional athlete? Um, so, oh, I've been, I've been competing as a power athlete for 12 years, but I've only been wow. a full-time athlete coming up to four years. So yeah, GB type one have supported me for four years, but prior to that, I was doing everything to try and fund myself. And um, yes, then I got, I became world champion in 2017. So then it secured um, funding to create a world-class program. And then from there, it's just gone on from strength to strength. That's awesome. Like, this is, I mean, I couldn't, I could like the, the grind to get to that point is like something I admire so much. What were you doing? Like as a job before, you know, cause sometimes like, and we see this within our, our realm of karate all the time. And it's like, Hey, like I'm working, but my job doesn't allow me to do X, Y, and Z that my sport needs, you know? Yeah. Um, so for a long time, I was working in retail, which I absolutely hated. Um, yeah, it was, it's just such a demanding job. Like you really, yeah. for the money you earn, it's just like ridiculous. You have to work every weekend. And then majority of my competitions would be on the weekend. So yeah, that was really challenging. So because of the wages being so poor, I was also teaching Taekwondo at the time. I was doing school assemblies and just help sort of motivate the kids that way by doing after school clubs um, and then in the meantime I was commuting from where I was working to Manchester and um, I actually got the opportunity before as a full-time athlete to train with the other Olympic and um, well at the time there was no power athletes there was only me so um, it was the other Olympic guys so I was doing that two three days a week and then traveling back to work and um, but I just kept persisting with it I was like yeah it'll pay off in the end it'll pay off in the end so we did that for X amount of time until I got um, funding that I could be a full-time athlete and leave the job that I was in. Yeah. Was there, what, like, was there ever a moment of doubt within that whole process? Um, to be honest, no, I, I was confident. I think since I started power sport, which was 2009 before that I was like an able-bodied athlete. I didn't, I didn't even know what power sport was. So, um, when I, when I was doing that, I was like consistently meddling and I thought, yeah, I am like a good candidate candidate mm. to go to. So I think my confidence through being consistent in my medal success, I knew that I would eventually get funding. I just knew it might be a more lengthier process than what I first thought. Yeah. And then, so then you just, you just stuck to the grindstone. It just kept going then, huh? Yeah, literally. <laughs> that's, yeah, that's, I mean, that's fantastic. And I mean, like, that's again, something that like, I think anybody could admire, right? It's just like the process of just continue, just keep going, right? Whatever the end goal is, hey, just keep pursuing, keep pursuing, keep pursuing. And something will come up out of it. And I think you're like a great case of that, you know, regardless of the Olympics and other things, but you have medals to back your back yourself, like you're like you're saying. And I think that's like a huge thing in itself. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Well, so then like let's fast forward then. You make it onto the team 
right? And you start, you quit your other job. What was like the competition process for you? What did that all look like? Um, seems like a lifetime ago now because I've not competed because of COVID for a year. Oh, now. So I'm yeah. Trying, I'm trying to think like what, how did the process start? I think, um, so after I got world champion 2017, it was whatever competition was available then. So being a full-time athlete, I didn't have to worry about booking flights. I didn't have to worry about doing entry forms for competitions. It was just like this competition is available. This is how many ranking points that you will gain from getting a medal. And so all that was organized for me throughout the team. And then obviously my coaches would devise a training plan to help me be in the best shape in time for the competition. And that's mm-hmm. how it continued since. So my job as an athlete is to turn up smash training put medals and everything else is done for me so yeah it's it's very sort of I wouldn't say easy but it's just yeah it does make my life a lot easier because a lot sure. of hard work and preparations are put in place for me well it's like it's almost like everybody has their job right and like your job yeah. is to perform and then and then everybody else's job that's around you is to help support that you know performance right and like i i think easy is like one thing. Okay. You could say that, but at the same time, it's like, there's, there's so much work that goes behind each one of those sectors, right. To make you perform well. And then um, we're looking at after that, what was the trial process for the, for the games? Like how, how, like, did you have to compete on that circuit that you were saying? Yeah. So um, in order to qualify for the Paralympic games, you had to be um, in the top four in the world. Um, I was like still ranked number one and I think I've been in that position for two years. Um, so even two years ago, I thought if I can maintain sort of this ranking position, obviously I'll, I'll be going to Tokyo and that's what I, I did. So I'm still ranked number one now. Um, so yeah, that was me automatically qualified. Um, mm-hmm. Due to like the medal success and it being a full-time program, we've actually got more athletes on the program now. So we've actually just had two other athletes who then went to a European qualifiers, which was a couple of months ago now. With they um, they've qualified as well. So we've got two more going. So I'm I'm not um, going on my own. Yes, that's awesome. No, that's fantastic. And I mean, how many people are are allowed to be in each each category? Oh, that's a really good question. Um, like I know at the games, there'll be 12 in each of the categories. Mm. Okay. Cause I, 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 well, I only asked because for us, it's 10, right? For karate it's 10. We went from five weight categories down to three and then, um, yeah, there's 10, there's only 10 athletes. And it was like a very demanding two year, like competing process that, that, that selected those people, you know? And, um, yeah. So for you guys, it's 12. Yeah, there'll be 12 at the Paralympic Games and then there's three different weight divisions for the females okay. and three different weight divisions for the males. And that's th- 12 in each weight division, correct? Yeah. Okay. Wow, that's great. So, I mean, now we're seeing like everything that's come up to this point, but then like I, I always think anybody in martial arts, right, it ha- always has a good like intro story. So um, how did you get into Taekwondo in the first place, right? And like granted, was there any challenges I know you're throwing a lot of kicks, but was there any like challenges or stigmas or anything that came up with like your impairment or anything like that along the process? Like I, I, I would, I would love to know this story. Um, I first got into it. It was basically my parents. They were just like had myself and my sister 
and they were just thought the world is quite an unsafe place and they just wanted us to learn some self-defense and just have a valuable life skill in case we ever got into any sort of conflict or dangerous situations um, and they just wanted to keep us active and not be just naughty kids causing trouble so that was the whole reason why we first got into it yeah um, I would watch a lot of martial art movies as a child so like Bruce Lee Jackie mm-hmm. Chan films like I really enjoyed that um, and I was quite active anyway so when I first started martial arts I was like yeah this is this is definitely for me um I don't think I really when I was younger I didn't really notice any sort of discrimination or anything with my arm I think I was just included in everything um the only thing I would have struggled with on a training perspective is like doing press-ups and stuff because my arm's a lot shorter so Mm -hmm. I'd find a way like the coaches would get like the focus pads just so I had a bit more height to do press-ups um but apart from that nothing too much I think any sort of stigma around my disability came a lot later in life and when I actually was then a Paralympic athlete. Wow. Yeah. And I mean, like, what, 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 like what challenges came up along the way? Like what were the biggest um, ones I, I should just, say? I think it was just like the, the views from other people. Um, like some of the messages that I received, some conversations I've had with other athletes, um, which was quite disturbing saying that um, like Paralympic athletes like, don't deserve the same sort of funding as Olympic athletes and um, like Paralympic athletes like don't deserve the same opportunities like you don't work as hard even though we're all in the same facility training the same amount of time so um, like, I've had a lot of sort of negative views from like from a dating perspective in my personal life so yeah it's it's just a bit of a shock to me really because I've never really experienced it but I think once you get that label if you're a Paralympic athlete I think people can ask questions which is totally fine I've got no issue talking about it but um yeah some people just I think it's just an education piece isn't it to just help other people understand um instead of having these sort of bizarre yeah it was more it's more just like instead of assuming why assume yeah, definitely. I think a lot of people do like put limitations on you before they actually know what you can do. Like I've had people say all sorts of stuff to me like, oh, do you get like a driver to take you to work? Like obviously you can't drive a car. I'm like, you haven't driven 12 years. <laughs> and then people just like, just stuff and you think, oh, just ask me. Like don't just think so I've got one arm. I can't like literally do anything. Yeah. Sure. Well, what, like you, you talk about like an educational point of view, what, what would you say? Like, what, how would you educate someone? Like, what would you say to them? Like, what would you want those, someone to know? Things, I think like the terminology of what people use, I think that's massive. I think even people now keep saying, oh, you're going to the Olympics. No, I'm not. I'm going to the Paralympics. People also will like say things like, oh, the normal Taekwondo or the real Taekwondo. And it's like, well, it's still Taekwondo, it's just one's Paralympics. So I think the terminology around things, I think people just like, they like disabled. I don't know, I think just wording things in a, in a better manner would help people. And I think just speak to Paralympic athletes, like you're making a judgment, you don't actually realise some of like the traumatic experiences some para-athletes have gone through to be in the position they're in today. And like I speak to a lot of Paralympic athletes. I'm really fortunate that I get to speak to some from various sports and they're 
like unbelievably inspiring at what they've achieved. And not only that, they've like excelled at what most normal, so to speak, people would in everyday life. So yeah, I think if you want to educate yourself, just have a conversation. Don't be afraid to ask questions, correct terminology and go and do a diversity and inclusion course because that'll help you as well. Or something, that would yeah. Be my advice to people. Well, my thing is like 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 I I, like Matt, like training with you, like I would train with you right now. And I don't think I, I would still get kicked in the face the same way as I would, you know, another athlete. I don't think there's really a big difference there. You know, like I, I, I completely see where you're coming from. And I think um, terminology about things is important, but like, um, but you're still an Olympian though, right? Like, like, does that, I guess, I guess maybe, maybe from, from like, just looking at it from a different perspective, um, it's not that people like I, I wouldn't try. I wouldn't be trying to like miss misinterpret right where you're going right because I, I I I'm excited for you and like I just met you <laughs> you know what I'm saying right so like I have the idea that I'm like yeah Amy's a freaking Olympian or now I would say para Olympian though right um, yeah that's correct okay right okay well that yeah fantastic I mean it's good to it's good to understand what the what the I guess the, the small things that go a long way, right. In the, in the, in the grand scheme of things. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, well, like us talking about the Paralympics, what, what, what do you expect? What, what's coming up? What are you thinking about? What are you excited about? What are you nervous about? Obviously I'm nervous about going to the games. I think, you know, you try your best to enjoy the training, enjoy the process up to it, but obviously I've been doing this sport my whole life. So I do focus on the outcome of, going to happen so I am hoping that I do get gold that I became that I become Paralympic champion there's no reason why I shouldn't and um, I'm probably the most like decorated athlete in that category so I just need to push it on the day um so my goal is to medal at the games fingers crossed gold and then I'll probably take a little bit of time off training just to sort of refocus like process what's happened and then I'll be back training and hopefully um, qualify for Paris 2024. So that's the goal to do two Paralympic Games. And then after that, I'll probably be far too old. So I'll just have to take a different career path, I think. Yeah. Well, I was going to, that's what I was going to ask next is like, what's going on? Because we've been talking about sport based the whole right, a majority of this, but like, what, what do you do outside of this? Um, that's a really good question because it's not <laughs> a lot. Yeah. Um, so usually like my free time on the weekends, I'll spend, spend it with my sister and my little nephew. So I'll make sure they're obviously part of my support network and support bubble. So I'll spend it with them. Um, I'm like really interested in just gaining more knowledge into like diversity, inclusion, um, different disabilities. So I've been doing a lot of studying in various courses. Um, I'm just going to finish this one this weekend because I've been doing it for the last year. And wow. um, yeah, that's the sort of, I've been doing those in my free time in the hope of trying to sort of unlock something that I might want to do in retirement because I know when I retire from professional sport, I do want to be involved in promoting diversity and inclusion within sport. I just don't know what capacity. So for me, like doing some qualifications in it it's just going to help me in the future so that's the main things I've been doing in free time at the moment yeah you say you're going through some courses does that mean like you're getting a degree in like diversity and things right now or is this oh no no thing? like not a degree like not that high level like they're a lot shorter than that but yeah just getting just gaining a qualification 
Right on. What, uh, what, like, I don't, I, I'm asking because I just don't know, but like, uh, what certification levels are there for something like that? Um, I don't know because it might be very different to yours. So ours might be like a level two, a level three. There could be an MVQ. Um, so usually, if you like, I, at the moment I'm doing a level three. If you do a level five, that's like university level. You're gonna do another year before university. I see. I see. Wow. No, that's cool. Well, like, and like, what about what else? Like, what, like, what do you do? Like, cause I think a lot of times with like high level athletes having energy and I'm actually, so I, a little bit about myself, I'm, I'm studying sports psychology. I'm in my master's program right now. But like a oh, big wow. thing we talk about with athletes is, um, having something else to focus on and put your energy into, you know, having goals like outside of, of your sport, but a lot of times, right? Like you can get sucked into those outside goals as well and, and, and the process of things. And granted, you you seem like a pretty resilient person yourself. So I, I don't think I don't think you know getting a bad grade or something like that would have would phase you too much. But like what do you do? Like any other fun small things on the side? No, um, to be honest, no, I don't. And that's I probably should. It would be a lot better for me. Like I'll try and go out for coffee like once a week, but then it's usually with my teammates. Then it's like I'm with Taekwondo again. And even stuff for study, it's still with Taekwondo. And mm. so, yeah, it's probably just chilling with my sister, chilling with my teammates, usually food or coffee in the week because we live in Manchester. So there's some like really nice places to go. Um, yeah. And that's it really, but nothing else. Two, four. So just coffee, just coffee Literally on just coffee, coffee on coffee. Food <laughs> and just chilling. You know, it's a good time. It's not a bad time at all. <laughs> you talked about like before, like a little bit ago, you talked about like you, you like when you were talking about um your your essentially your upbringing story in Taekwondo and mm -hmm. and you teaching, right? Is that something you ever want to go back to, like teaching Taekwondo or like opening yeah, up your own I'd, Yeah, I'd, I'd love to do that. Like in an ideal world, I'd love to medal at the next two Paralympic Games and then be a Paralympic like female coach at GB Taekwondo. I think that'd be amazing. I think I'd have a lot to offer. Um, so yeah, that would be ideal. But even if I couldn't teach Taekwondo, I'd like to teach some form of disabled sport, I think. But I see. Hopefully, a power type one do coach is the goal. Yeah, I and like I mean, going into our closing here, like, like as as being a coach and talking about the things that you would bring to the table, because I also and I, I granted I I've known you for just this time, right? I've never met you before this, but like just knowing the things that you could bring to the table, like what what would be your goals? Like we talk a lot about like from a coaching perspective too, is like your mission statement and what your core values are and how you're going to push those upon your athletes. Right. Um, what, what things would you bring to the table then? Oh, I think just like my experience, obviously I've been in the, the game for ages. I've seen like how the, the rules have changed, how the rounds have changed, how the equipment's changed, like how I've had to adapt to that. Um, I think going from a transition period of being sort of a club level athlete is doing it as a hobby and that transition into elite sport I think I can really help a new athlete with sort of the demands of the elite sport you have to go through and the best way to cope with those sort of challenges and um, so I just think I think um, things like that really like how I prepared well to get a good result um, at a competition and just just lots of stuff really <laughs> almost like the day-to-day -day, the day-to-day -day grind in what goes into a para para olympic or para athlete 
is something, right? Well, yeah, in a way, because if you're going to go to elite sport, you like literally can't go from doing like three hours at home to then doing 20, 30 a week. So I think mm-hmm. just having that support and the correct training to like that gradual build, I think I could probably support someone in that area. And obviously, yeah, I, know how to, I know how to kick, I know the tactics. So just, just, just a little bit, right? Yeah, so <laughs> I think that would help a lot. Awesome. Well, Amy, I really appreciate you coming on again as my first Taekwondo official Taekwondo athlete and Paralympian. So just get that on the map. So thank you again so much for coming on and I wish you nothing but the best. And, and yes, I wish you a gold medal going into this Paralympics. Thank you. And hopefully I will get it and we can do another chat and I'll, I'll be wearing my medal for you. Yes. 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 Fingers crossed. We're putting extra love and energy out there for you. So really, thank you so much. Thank you so much for everybody listening into this episode of Believe in the Punch. I really appreciate your guys' support. You already know that I say it every time, but I really, really do. It keeps me motivated to keep finding new people that would be interesting, fun, and fascinating to talk to over a combat platform. So thank you again for tuning in. Please download if you haven't already. And I look forward to the next episode. I do have a separate series that I will be starting. So keep a lookout for that. But as always, keep your hands up and keep believing in the punch. Take care, everyone. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.